The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim, and this is the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. And it's the Ambassador's Corner with Oscar Arrivabene. It's more like a farce chat style, and we've been doing this for such a long time now. Laika, ciao, Laika. Ciao, Stevie. So what is the episode here? Number, episode number 50-something or 60? It's 68. It's 68. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've, I've been sleeping the past few episodes, basically. We're re- we've been really super busy for Wine to Wine. There were some extra episodes as well. Laika, of course, is our clubhouse manager backstage, and she's been doing a wonderful job. Uh, let me just tell you that for those who are unfamiliar, we d- we play every single episode on the Italian Wine Podcast, and we get thousands and thousands. Some of them we got like 8,000, 9,000 listens. So super popular, Ambassador's Corner here with our Italian Wine Ambassadors. And today we have John. Hello, John. Long time no see. Ciao, Stevie. Good to be here. Yes, John Camacho. Or is it Camacho? Camacho. Camacho Vidal. Camacho. John, where are you? What are you doing now? I haven't seen you in such a long time. Where have you been? Well, since uh, you and I parted ways in Italy that last time, I've been between New York City and Miami, spreading the Italian wine gospel. Um, there's a huge hunger down here in the south of Miami for Italian wine. So I've been trying to do my best just to get the word out there and taste with as many people as we can. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult to change that, that, that mentality of the nice little cocktail with the umbrella next to the beach. And, uh, I've been trying to tell people, Hey, there's a lot of wine out there that we could drink uh, poolside. It's a lot of wine that we drink on the beach and it doesn't have to be these, uh, these, uh, cocktail sweet drinks that are just, you know, all over the place. So it's been quite interesting and quite challenging, but also a lot of fun. Listen, so you, you're living between 
New York and Miami. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Uh, I'm trying to do the snowbird where take advantage of the uh, the, the seasons. Uh, here in Miami is a window of an opportunity, actually, uh, uh, where it's not extremely hot. Uh, and try to be here during those months. And then whenever needed, I'd go back to New York. But but New York is still the home base, and New York is still uh, where the love is. So you've started with the Italian wine merchant. You have a very long bio here. Why don't you tell us how you started with the Italian wine and what your actual role is? Well, when I left, uh, I used to be in finance. Um, and actually, it was quite interesting because I went to work initially to Italian wine merchants because they had an investment fund based on Italian wine um, at that particular and when time. when was that? How many years uh, ago? Oh, this is about 14 years ago. Um, it was after the first uh, big adjustment we had in finance, and I just simply hadn't had enough, and I wanted to try something different. I thought I knew wine. I thought I, I had a, a bit of, of, uh, of insight on it. But when I got there, I found out that I was actually totally ignorant. I knew nothing about wine. Um, so I went to work for Italian wine merchants. And surprisingly, uh, Sergio Esposito, when he gave me the opportunity, he asked me a few questions. And, and being a salesman, you try to, you know, try to sell it. And he just called me right on. He's like, you know what? You cannot lie through wine. You really have to know what you're talking about. I'm going to test you in a couple of things. And if you don't have that down, then you're done. And I, I, I really hit the books. I studied for about a week. He came in, asked me two questions, patted me on the back. And that helped me because I never wanted to be put in a situation where I would feel that way again. And I tried to learn as much as I can. And instead of selling the investment fund in wine, I actually got into wine education. So it got me a little bit of time uh, to get, and, and it's a perpetual thing, as you everybody here knows. Uh, it's ever evolving, ever changing, and, and and it's just one of those wonderful journeys that you could, you could embark on. So, but are you doing a wine full time, or are you still in finance? A bit? No, I am a full time wine educator. Um, when I worked with the MP Selecione, I was an ambassador for Domenico Clerico and a few other boutique wineries, which was a beautiful experience. Uh, now I go wherever I am needed, and again trying to to just spread the Italian wine gospel. Uh, I've been working with Slow Wine uh, with Lambrusco and Emilia Romana, so I'm trying to put together some events with them. Um, I'm also trying to do as many educational events as I can here in New York City and in Miami. Um, like I said, Miami is just a, a, a thirst of uh, of Italian wine, so it's been been fun trying to penetrate this market. So I am a full time wine educator. That's excellent. I'm I'm complimenting because it's not it's not easy just doing a full time wine as a trade person in terms of education. So we will help you to do this um, as much as you can. Of course, John is our what we call the Italian wine um, ambassador um, program. And um, when did you do the course? I can't remember. Uh, this was the flagship right after when you opened after COVID, after the pandemic. So that was a year, oh and, a year and a half ago, I believe. Right. So, I mean, especially in Miami now, you don't feel like it's COVID at all, right? There are no mask restrictions, anything like that? You know, it's a different world over here. It's, it's just uh, there aren't any restrictions. <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, I, I guess it's a little bit of common sense. And one of the advantages, you, you, have, you don't have this condensed metropolis where everybody lives on top of each other. Everything's pretty much spread, spread, spread out. So that's one of the, the reasons, I guess, they feel so lax. Um, but, you know, being a, in, a, in a, a society where you have, you know, it's retirement community, uh, uh, that has changed tremendously, by the way. Uh, I think the old uh, 
uh, attitude was you go to you retire you go to Florida but there's a new generation there, there's there's all these young millennials I don't like the word to use like to use the word millennial but there's this new generation of wine drinkers new generation of people in general entrepreneurs so that segment or that mentality has also changed but being that it's so spread out um, you know that again it's a world of its own and, and they are very relaxed on it you still have to be very careful and I try to be diligent you know better safe than sorry is what I say okay excellent so I'm really looking forward to um, listening to your interview today because I don't know Oscar um, Arriva Bene. So ciao, Oscar. And why don't you tell us, John, why you've chosen Oscar um, as your favorite wine producer to be on the call today. Well, as I said, when I started with Italian wine merchants, I was actually new to wine. I, w- I, I thought I knew what I was doing, but, you know, you you pretty much find out that you're a novice and everything. Uh, one of the first wine moments that I ever had was with a bottle of the Domenico Clinico Barolo. It was a staff tasting that they did. They called everybody down. And I just simply had one of those moments in time where you were transported, you were you know, a good wine is a wine that takes you somewhere. And, and, and everything that I that I know now, it, it was so true. He was one of the, Domenico Turk was one of the original Barolo boys when I started doing the research. And I simply had that opportunity to meet uh, Oscar. Unfortunately, I did not meet uh, Domenico because he passed away in July of 2017 after battling brain cancer. But when I worked with DMP Selezione, I had an honor and I had the privilege of being a brand ambassador for Clerico. And that's when I met Oscar. And I... Pretty much met an individual who was very passionate. It was a person who, uh, you know, you could see his commitment. You could see his love for wine. And that really transposed and transpires to the wines that he's making. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to uh, choose him and and, and to uh, share his passion with the world, I guess. Yeah, I was just in Piemonte. So I went to see uh, Burlotto and then um, Gaia, Elio Grasso, and, of course, one of the, the Barola girl. Uh, Chiara Boschi. So I'm looking, it seems, it was just last week, so I'm looking for the continuation of the Piemonte stories here. As you know, we are a little bit geeky here, and we always ask the host, uh, the mod, to tell us what we should be expecting from your call today with Oscar. Um, In particular, the learning objectives. What do we expect from your call today? Well, basically, uh, Domenico Clerico, as I said, was one of the original Barolo boys. He was one of the most respected names in all of Barolo. And I basically want people to know that Oscar is out there carrying that torch, not only following in the footsteps of a great winemaker, but a great winemaker in his own right. And he's adding a little bit of his own personality into the wines. So, uh, you know, to expand on it and and and, and taking Domenico Clerico to the next level. Um, even though we've lost a great winemaker, we have another winemaker who's carrying that torch, so to speak. Okay, great. I just want to give a shout out to Andrea Ebby. She's passed, I believe, her theory, I'm not sure, part of the MW. And then also I saw Nicholas um, Berquist this over the uh, last week in Brunello, Montalcino, and he passed the practical. We are, almost have an MW already, so it's it's pretty exciting. Congratulations, Andrea, and we are rooting for you and Nicholas to become an MW very, very soon. So, um, John, I'll leave now. I'll be uh, a little bit quiet and then maybe come back if there's um, some extra time for uh, Q&A later. Okay. Gracias, Stevie. Ciao. Ciao, gracias. So uh, I'm really excited. I'm really grateful that Oscar accepted my invitation to be on the Italian Wine Podcast. 
As I mentioned, he's one of those people who is truly passionate about what he does. If you ever have an opportunity to see him firsthand, and, and you're going to get a chance to listen to him speak, and I think just by listening to to, to the way he describes and everything, um, you get a little bit of that impression. But uh, thank you for being here, Oscar. Welcome. Always too kind, John. Thank you for your time, and thank you to, to everyone else who is listening. So, Oscar, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, uh, give us a quick introduction of, of, of how you came to... Uh, to be at, at uh, Domenico Carico. So, um, actually, I grew up close by to, to Bergamo. It's a city in the north center of Italy. And my grandfather used to be a farmer. So, n- not actually, that wasn't part of my family, but uh, from the family of my grandfather. So, actually, I had the, the, the first, uh, the first uh, experience with the field and with agriculture that it was super young and uh, and after that i study enology and viticulture at the university of milano uh, a really interesting university in general um, and then the, the surrounding of of milano so it's it's not something that it's really uh, typical because it's not a university that is um, surrounded by vineyards but it's a an university in the middle of probably the, the one of the most important city in italy so also the environment around the people who used to follow those courses are really interesting. So a really good experience. And after that, I joined to uh, the Rupi, that is a really tiny um, winery in Valtellina, and a um, fantastic experience close to the Alps. Um, a really tiny winery. I mean, at that point, it was at 3.5 hectares. So... 20,000 20, bottles per year. So really, really tiny. And, uh, and that gave me the possibility to be 100% um, in every kind of task every day. Um, and then after that, obviously, after the Alps, I choose to leave in order to, to go in a more open space, <laughs> like Australia was. So I left Australia, and I worked in the Great Western. So... In the Australian way, it's close by to Perth, so four hours driving, roughly. And um, uh, there we had the experience with uh, Riesling and Sierra. And with the Australian mentality, that obviously was really, really far from, uh, from, uh, from the Alps. And, uh, and, then, and then I came back. I worked for uh, Livio Felluga in Friuli, and they are super precise, super geeky. And another fantastic experience. Still have good friends from there. And the last one was in Montalcino, working for uh, Allegrini Group. Um, the name of the winery was San Polo. 2014, I joined to Clerico. Um, and then became, uh, it was a kind of weird experience at the first point because Domenico uh, treated me like, a, uh, like part of the family, not, not just an employee. And uh, but then it became a family, so uh, I started like a winemaker and then sales manager and then general manager. And uh, Domenico in 2017, uh, as you know, passed away. So the the reins of the company was took by Giuliana, the, the wife. And here we are. You know, one of the things, as I said, it, it, it must be an honor to be a protege, to be personally chosen by somebody who was uh, such a great name. 
it, it, how has it been to take on the responsibility of burying the torch since Dominical died? I mean, I mean, it must be rewarding, but at the same time, must have a lot of challenges. So, so give me a little bit of insight of how how has that been for you? Really, it was natural. It was natural, and uh, in the moment that Domenico, uh, we are like in a part of, the, of the, we are all part of the family, and so in the moment that uh, one of the family pass away, we just do what you have to do. It's not something that you you use to brain your brain to think about. You just you just make your job, and make sure that the job is done, and that is what's what's happening. So nothing of so. It looks special from outside, but from inside was uh, just uh, the natural way to to manage the situation. And uh, lucky enough that uh, Juliana, uh, the wife, she gave us a lot of space. So and obviously it was not uh, just about myself. We we have an entire team of seventeen people, and uh, and everyone took his own part in uh, in this big game. Well, I must say that I I I am privy to that. I was able to. Uh, share with with you, Juliana, and and absolutely when 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 uh, when you, you have passion and when you have like minded people, it, it's easy to see how the family just coexists so wonderfully. Um, yeah, there are different styles that are produced uh, in Barolo. I think the wines embody a range of expressions, both in winemaking and philosophy and terroir. You know, therefore, you have different characteristics in glass in the glass when you when you reach and grab one. Can you give us a quick? You know, uh, the introduction about the, your winemaking philosophy. What, what uh, is it? How much of it is Domenico Clerico? How much of it yourself? How do you intertwine both? Mm, uh, Domenico Clerico is from Monforte d'Alba, and this actually was the main topic in the moment that he left. Um, we are not a, a winery in Barolo. We are specifically a winery in Monforte d'Alba, and uh, and the winemaking philosophy should respect that. So. Domenico created the situation to make Monforte d'Alba famous in, in the world. And, and right now, our role is to go further and think about that. Think about that we are Domenico Clerico from Monforte d'Alba. So the winemaking style reflects that kind of philosophy. So it's important for me that in the moment that we make the wine, that you taste the wine, you feel the vineyard. You feel uh, where it's from. Okay, this is from Ginestra. You have to feel Ginestra. And it's actually uh, not a, it's not an easy thing. It's um, every year you have to adjust because talking about this, it's easy. No? So everyone say, yeah, you have to do less. You have to remove. You have to uh, don't do this, don't do that. But it's, it's, right now it's popular to, to talk about this kind of topic. Uh, but it's, in, in reality, it's time adjustment every year because then you have always to uh, to, to carry the torch of a, of, a, of a great winery. So the wine that comes out, it must be great. And, uh, and that was the philosophy of Domenico. That was actually the, the most important part of our winery. Um, Domenico never thought about, we are there to make a wine. Uh, in the mind of Domenico, we are there to make the best barrel in the world. So we have that part, that is 50% of our heritage, plus the 50% that I just told you that is about um, try to reflect the vineyard and also the vintage. Not all the vintage are the same. So it's important that in the moment that you drink the wine, you feel also, oh, this was warm, this was cooler. So all those things. Bravo. You know, what one also, it's each of the wine produced is uniquely different. Uh, I, I've, again, I've had the opportunity to pretty much taste through all the wines throughout the years. 
And um, just for the people who are not that familiar, how many different wines are made? And, and, and what also, what are the main differences of styles in the Barolo from one to the other? So right now we're making nine different wines. It's uh, one Dolcetto vis-a-vis. Uh, one Barbera is Trevigne, one Langenebiolo is Capisme, an historical blend of Barbera and uh, Nebbiolo from a Barolo vineyard. It's called Arte, and it's a Langerosso. And then um, Village Barolo from the village of Monforte d'Alba, that is a blend of all our vineyards in Monforte d'Alba. And then we go a little bit deeper with the, with the two wines from the Cruz Ginestra. One is Payana, the other one is Chabot Mentin, two single vineyards. Then we have... Um, Aeroplan Survive, that is the only project outside of the village of Monforte d'Alba, and it's from Serra Lunga, and Per Cristina, that is back to Monforte in, uh, in Cruoscone, and that's the most important wine that we make. Uh, Payana, so talking about the Barolo, we try to give you the, um, the idea of what Monforte is, why Monforte exists on a map. So usually Monforte, if you compare Barolo to Barolo, Monforte is the, the shoulder. So if you think in the map, Barolo give you the shoulder, give you the, the backbone. And this is what we try to reflect in the wine. And inside of Payana, it's a vineyard that is a little bit lower than the other. So um, it's, more, it's more lush. And the result, it's more explosive than the nose. Uh, so really aromatic. And then we have Chabot Mentin, that is the, the quintessence of, uh, of Ginestra Cru. So maybe a little bit more shy at the nose, but straight and with a lot of mouth and long finish and then um, for Christina it's a it's, it's a different story because it's Moscone so we are a little bit pioneer in Moscone crew and Moscone has it can be rich um, it's rich but without to be so tannic uh, it's rich and we, it, it has always this kind of what we call actually there is a French word where we describe the character in sucrosité that is actually sweet, but not sweet. Uh, it's sweet, but without any sugar. So that is the, the character of that vineyard. It's rich, almost so rich to get sweet, obviously zero, zero grams of sugar. And then uh, Aeroplan survives in the northern part of Serra Lunga d'Alba. It's a completely different story. It's all about uh, fruit, tons of fruit at the nose. So those are actually the main, the main character. Then we, we can go ahead and talk about vineyards for, for hours, but it gets too long. Bravo. Yeah, the the uh, Aeroplan Salvage depicts the uh, four different labels, um, and it's got a really nice little story. I, I, I think it's it's uh, what uh, Domenico's father used to call him. He's a wild airplane because he wouldn't sit still. Is that is that uh, how the story goes? Yeah, the, the Aeroplan Salvage used to be the, the nickname of Domenico when Domenico was young. And um, the father used to call him in that way because he was never at home, no? So it's kind of free spirit, the translation in uh, from Piemontese to, 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 to Italiano to English too. Uh, yes, and for that reason, he chose actually to have six different labels, um, all that talk about flight. And it's a, it's a pretty cool project. And um, year after year, it's getting more interesting. But also because it's, it's in Sarra Long. I think that in the moment that we are in Barolo, um, from seven kilometers to seven kilometers, the, the, the situation changed completely. Uh, so if you are in Monforte, then you can maybe pick uh, Barolo 15 days ahead, 15. So it's, it's huge differences. Obviously, from us to Serra Lunga, usually we have seven days. And uh, sometimes seven days in other parts of the world, it's the difference from, uh, from Chardonnay to Pinot Noir to understand the, 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 the point. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's big. It's big. Yeah. 
You know, the the, uh, the last time I visited, I remember you were very excited about working with micro vinification and the different soil expressions in the vineyard. Something that to me was just like, wow. I, I when I when I heard you speak about this, it was like, oh my god, it makes so much sense. Um, and at the same time, it was so different than what uh, what the old Barolos used to because of the you know the traditional Barolo being you know different vineyards and expression as a whole. But you were focused on the micro vinification. Can you explain a little bit of what tell us about the different soils that you've identified or 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 how they show the different expressions of the micro vinification? Oh, that was a um, super interesting project for me. Uh, it, it was incredibly expensive because it's about under percent about investigation of of the vineyards. So it's not something that reflect back in in your vinification. It's not something that you can have a, a straight result of the situation. It's just science. So it's study to study. And uh, but it's in my opinion, and obviously coming from the University of Milano, that was about that. It's important also to make a a, a book of of data that maybe you don't use right now, but global warming was not something of predictable 20 years ago. So we are trying to make all the results and trying to make all the numbers in order to maybe help someone else in the future too. The straight result that we had is that we understood that probably the real, um, the real topic to, to, to talk about in the single vineyards in a period like this one, so in global warming period, is that that's probably the only option is to divide the vineyard. Because in a way or another, you always have a quarter of vineyard that works, that fit perfectly for that vineyard, especially if you are in Barolo. So in Barolo, we are almost never working on a straight slope. Most of the time we are on a hill. So it can happen that you have a vineyard of one hectare that is east and southeast in the same hectare. And working with the micro you can identify that. Plus you have a um, um, huge amount of clones that are un- uninvestigated. Because uh, if you have a vineyard that is 17 years old, speaking clear, it's, it's pretty useful to talk about clones. There wasn't. It's a, th- that kind of science, 17 or 18 or 80 years ago, there wasn't. So right now it's difficult to identify which is the clone. The only option that you have, it's be empiric. And that was the kind of situation. So trying to be empiric, you can maybe investigate something that was not predictable. In the moment that you understand what you what is the peculiarity of that plot, then you can go deeper. Then you can go deeper and investigate with more logic. So that was actually the, the, the real goal of all that all that part. And we made it for three different years uh, in a row. So we also had the different parameter from uh, from the vintage. And it will be probably um, a research from the university. So it's going to finish in a, uh, um, yeah, something that will be, all the results will be public uh, soon, also for the other winemakers. Now, was this a project that you worked with Domenico or something that you, you initiated on your own? One of your touches, so to speak. About the micro Correct. Uh, no, this was 100% from, uh, from us right now. And actually, this was the reflection of the, the fact that Domenico passed away. So in 2017, uh, it was uh, unpredictable all what's happened. And Domenico was the historical memory of the company. So suddenly we had to um, force ourselves to learn as much as we could in a super short period. And the only option that that, uh, that they thought was, was this, okay, guys, let's, let's do, and let's try to investigate by ourselves. So we tried to make all the wines in the first vintages exactly as Domenico used to do it. But then also the climate was changing. So we, it's something that you can touch right now in Barolo that it's 
more sunny. Um, it, it's not always more hot. It's just more sunny sometimes. And, and obviously the ripening is different. So having a kind of work like this can help us to better, better adjust. And all this was some actually of, of the fact that we, we are young and trying to learn. The best way to learn is study. Right. So, you know, uh, I guess that, that goes along the way of, do you consider yourself a modern winemaker? Domenico Cleric was a modern Barolo, well, modern winemaker, correct? Correct. We're still okay. considering so, ourselves modern. Okay. So, I, I, you know, you know, I'm a fan of uniqueness of antique techniques, uh, the use of amphora. Um, I remember you once told me that a modern winemaker should be constantly evolving, uh, you know, just innovating. Now, at the same time, you're also working with Amphora, which I got really excited because I'm a big fan of, of, of Amphora wines and then concrete and things like that. So when I saw that you were working with Amphora, I got really excited. How do you maintain tradition but also continue innovation at the same time? How do you manage to mix them both? It must be something, you know, It's an, I think it's an art, a talent, actually. In order to to manage the to manage all the things that you know, you have to know it. So that's the point about about Amphora. Every time for ourselves was it it was a tradition also for Domenico, uh, something that, that he always have done, and we are just re, re, doing again that. So every time that there is a new vessel or something of new, a new technique that is coming out, we just try. Um, and then after that, uh, we decide if that will be something that we are going to take part in, in our vinification or if we, are, if we are just removing that. And Amphora has been that. So we, we tried and, and they have to say that actually it's, it's part of the Langenebiolo right now, but in a tiny percentage. So it never really grew. Um, but because Amphora specifically, in our opinion, doesn't fit, fit perfectly with, with Nebbiolo. So maybe it's better for some other, some other, some other varieties a little bit more reductive. Uh, but it's important for us every year to experiment. If something of new come out, for sure we we buy and and, and we try to to use it. Well, now there, like you mentioned, you've introduced you know some some new wines. Uh, you mentioned the Capisme, um, the European Salvage with the grapes from Seralunga. Capisme means do you understand me correct in the dialect? Eh, correcto, correcto. Capisme, it's a, it's dialect. And, and, the dialect. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, because I've always found that fascinating. I, th- I think it, it, it when for me personally, when I'm giving my classes, when I speak, uh, you connect the dots. And when somebody has something in the glass, when somebody sees a label and they hear the, what it means, it, it kind of makes you more enamored with what you're you're drinking and tasting. But uh, I love the little story about the capisme, how the name came about. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Capisme means uh, capisimi in dialect. Uh, so understand me. It's hundred percent Nebbiolo from a single vineyard of Barolo that we declassified every year. So Domenico used to have three really good vineyards, so Payana, Chabotmentin, and, and Procristina. In the moment that he was able also to have uh, uh, this new vineyard in uh, Bricchio San Pietro, that it's a little bit lower, he straight decided to make a Lange Nebbiolo instead of Barolo, because it's a really good vineyard, but it's a little bit more rough. So he said... This was part of the philosophy of Domenico, of philosophy of the company that we are obviously doing the same right now. That is about, or we make it incredible, or we just don't make it. So that was the idea. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show.
prefer to make the best Lang and Viola possible instead of Abarolo interesting and in average. So um, capisme for that, because it's kind of naked Barolo. It's uh, you remove the oak, you remove everything, but from a great grape, great, great fruit from Barolo, obviously. And we try to make understand what is Nebbiolo in our territory, especially what is Nebbiolo in Monforte d'Alba. And it's important because uh, if you want to have young people with you for the future, you have to educate them. And capisme, it's useful because they can understand what they can have from Nebbiolo or what they can't. If you are looking for a great color, if you are looking for great mouth, if you are looking for smooth mouth, simply it's not your variety. If you are looking for elegant wines, acid, um, crispy and fruity, and something that if you can you can drink it or you can smell it for hours, Nebbiolo is your variety. So it's about understand what you want. So we make understanding. Bravo. Now these these are projects that you were working with Domenico that you created together before his passing. Um, and, and basically, what have been the biggest challenges you face continuing these projects, not having him around? I mean, like you said, he was the driving force and he was the, the you know, the, he was the name. So what have been those challenges for you continuing these projects? Are you, are you talking about Aeroplan Servai or Arte? I'm sorry. Uh, so I, I guess the question is: You, you mentioned the Capisme, you left the Serlunga di Alba with the uh, the Alba Salvage, and, and, and even Arte, yes. I mean, but th- these are projects that you and Domenico were working together. Um, and I mean, my question is: What have been the biggest challenges to continue these projects? Um, you know, not having him around as far as you know, to, to taking them to the next level. Yeah, the, the, the biggest problem about those was trying to that we we, we don't want to stay. The, the winery used to be. Um, it's a modernist winery, so we want to be updated. We don't want to stop. We are not there to celebrate. We are there to make better. That was the philosophy of the company, so this was the challenge. The real challenge was to try to make the same, but better. Um, but in the end, what means better, that's the point. It's something that is more on the page. It's not something that is bad. Something that is better for me is not better for you. So it's that the real, the real challenge. It's more philosophical. It's trying to improve without to break it to break all and in the end we, we we understood that it's about be more uh, part of something be more be more part of a community be more part of our territory feel more the vineyards so that was the biggest challenge in general because it's every day about as i said tiny adjustment so you are understanding maybe today you have an idea and you say okay we go like this and then the day after you taste the wine and maybe oh we have a little bit to adjust this because maybe too much purity and in the end finish that the wine it's not is not rich enough. So it's important that it's important to keep open the mind and trying to push always on the gas and think think farther. Think farther every year. So we, the wine that we make right now is not the one that we are going to uh, make in three years ahead. We're always adjusting, always adjusting and stay stay at the same pace of the entire entire world. And the entire world, actually, not about the wine making, but the, the people who drink wine. That is actually the, what we have in our mind. It's not because that guy in, in Bourgogne is making that, so we do the same, absolutely the opposite. So because that guy in New York is tasting that wine, then we, we start to chat a little bit more with him, understanding what's, which are their preferences, and then we taste the same wine together, maybe. And then after that, all those things reflect in the, in the verification. Yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate that as a wine drinker or a wine educator because 
for me, it's just the excitement. I know that every vintage, something new is coming. Um, as much as I love old world wine and, and, and the old techniques as well, it's really exciting because you know that something's going to change. You're not going to get stuck with something that's going to be uh, monotonous. It's, it's, it's ever evolving. And, and there's something that's going to look, you, to look forward to in every bottle, I guess, and every vintage. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you're maintaining that and, and, and taking that forward, you know, um, in, I remember in 1981, okay, uh, and this is wonderful because this is another one of those great wine moments that I had. Uh, in 81, Domingo came up with the with the Arte, the Lange Rosso. And when I did my research initially, I didn't know what Super Tuscan was or anything like that. Like I said, I was new in wine, but people were calling it the first Super Pimentese. Um, I guess maybe because it was Asian French Bariques. Um, and I know that at that time, after watching the Barolo Boys, the, the documentary, and, and for the young guys out there who are not familiar, I, I highly recommend that you Netflix it or, or, or Amazon or whatever, uh, Barolo Boys, because it really gives you an insight of that, that, that old school philosophy and, and, and what that changing um, regime was. But something that was unheard of in those days was using that French barrique. You have right now the Edizione Limitada with the bottles that have these spectacular labels created by two wonderful artists. Uh, I'm looking at a three liter that 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 you and then Sara from DMP Selecion actually gifted me for Christmas two years ago. Um, beautiful labels. Tell us what's behind this project. Uh, how did this come about? Because it, it's just you know it's just really wonderful to look at these things. So because you had it two years ago, it looks pretty clear that you need another one this year. Oh, absolutely. Maybe a case or two. And it's your limitata. It's a it's a new project for us that it's to always for the mentality to keep a little bit open the mind. So we are have this uh, relation with um, Academia Albertina delle Belle Arti, that is the school of art in, in Torino. And every year there is a concorso and we select um, two artists from the one that wants to participate. And, uh, and those two artists are going to make the labels for um, five labels each. So we're going to finish in with 10 different labels. And then you go on the website and you customize by yourself the entire bottle, uh, selecting the label, selecting the, the wax, selecting the back label. It's 100%. Uh, you can do whatever you want. It's art. So you do what you want. You do what you want in the moment that you want. And also the, the wine is like that. The wine is a blend. It's a blend. So if for all the other wines, we are thinking... Um, this is the vineyard. This is the reflection of the vineyard that you find in the bottle. For that wine, it's we give you the best start to every vintage. So it's a different kind of philosophy. It's not, okay, this is the vineyard, and then you taste the vintage. It's, okay, uh, it's a blend. We adjust it until that we are able to make the best start for this vintage. It's a different story. So, but always, uh, it takes every year, probably two months, just to have the final blending for us, the other. The other the other guys hate me <laughs> during the during the blending because it's super long this process but it's uh, fascinating because it's about being uh, um, a little bit perfectionist in a, in the compulsive way it's cool what what is the blend just just uh, so people who are not familiar it I know it I know it changed a little bit what is the current blend now and it's, is it uh, French barrique it's Nebbiolo and uh, and Barbera and is hundred percent in aged in barrique. And in those barriques, it's unless 70% of New York. So um, it's, um, it's an interesting connection to where we start. Uh, Domenico started with, actually with Big Cask, and then he became 100% uh, barrique, 100% New York. Right now we find ourselves in that wine with 70% New York, mostly French oak. 
and it's uh, it's important to calibrate. It's a completely different beast. All the other wines that we make, we are thinking about elegance, connection to the vineyard, be pretty, uh, be fruity. In the arte, we always have this boom. It must be big. So it's it's a it's a different topic. It's cool. Yeah, I've always found, for example, those uh, those people that like those caba. The, the, the cabs from from Napa, the, the bigger ones. I'm like, all right, let, let's taste a little bit of arte and let's make our way up to the really, you know, elegant, uh, you know, single label stuff. So uh, it's just nice to see that evolution. And I guess that's also a definition of what you said you are, uh, that, that constant evolution going from cast to barrique and then a the combination of the two. Now, yeah, one thing also I, I've noticed in the, in the few years that passed that the language on labels, I mean, they, they, they provide an idea of what to expect, it's what's inside the juice, what's inside the bottle. And I've found that over the years, fans of Barolo, uh, they become familiar with the 11 commune, the names that appear on those labels. It gives them an idea, okay, what to expect from this particular town or from the other town uh, or from the individual vineyards themselves, which have gained notoriety like like that Ginestra. What are, you know, where where do these instances, do you, do you see any pressure from the powers to be to adjust your labels to confirm to these changes. What are you doing for that? I mean, I, I have seen some changes, for example, it used to be Shabbat Bentin Genestra, now it's just Genestra. So I, I did notice personally some things, but have you had any pressures to conform to these changes? Actually, it's not, it's not something that comes from outside, but something that comes from inside. In the moment that Domenico passed away, our idea was, okay, right now, guys, what we want to be. So we are this, we used to be this and what we what we want to be for the future and uh, what we think every time that we think about ourselves we think about Domenico Clerico in Monforte d'Alba uh, since a long time actually so for that reason for that kind of pressure in our mind which used to be back in in the label from 2017 with uh, Chabot Mentin it's with the name of the crew and all the wines as, as many more information as you can in in the front label it's uh, it's it's natural. I think that it's natural right now, and it's um, it's also for us. Uh, we don't want to be. We we already add our artist that was Domenico. Right now we want just to be artisan. So we are, we want to stay one step back. So on the label there is the name of the founder, and it's important for us. And uh, all the rest we would like to to write it too, in order to say, guys, this is not son of. Oscar Arrivabene and the team. This is son of Moforte d'Alba. So that was the reason that 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 took us to to that decision. But what about like for example with the influence of the MGAs now? Um, you know, like I said, a lot of people will identify, and I know a lot of people will actually uh, go to MGAs as a guide uh, with the maps. And then you know, do you see any any correlation to that? Do you see uh, any influence from that part? Speaking clear, I have to tell you that. Um, Using the MGA on the label doesn't change the selling of the wine. So this is pretty, pretty clear to be understood. And uh, it's more important if you want to be part of a scheme. So if you want to be judged, if you feel comfortable with that, if you want to be compared with the others, uh, then in my opinion, stay all together and be part of a, of a village, be part of a appellation. It's, uh, it's the reason it's, you're stronger with that, but you have to feel comfortable in uh, in a group because uh, you you need to feel comfortable to to be compared to the others. And right now, I think that we are 
we are we are okay with that. It's it's about singular decision. Every every winemaker, every winery has his own philosophy. So it's difficult to understand what is the right or the wrong. I feel that they want to be part of the community, and it's uh, it's important for us, for a Barolo producer, be part of the village where he's from. And for that reason, we choose to have everything written on the label. Bravo. I, I, I think that's great. It makes it so much easier for me, at least. And then sometimes I think the overload, sensory overload, or, or too much information could be a disnomer as well. Now, you mentioned earlier about uh, some of the challenges uh, as far as microclimate and then now, what, what's what's happening with climate change and the challenges, especially the recent drought that, that we saw um, as a winemaker, I, and I've been asking this for a lot of my friends and a lot of winemaker friends, what is your thought on the peewee grape varietals? Do you see a place for them in, in Piedmonte? I mean, there's, I think, a little bit of uh, debate, so to speak. Some people hate it, other people are embracing it, and other people are, I think, in between and saying it's too soon. What, what's your personal opinion on the peewee varietals? Are incredibly interesting. Incredibly interesting, in my opinion, but it depends. You have, to, I think that it is obviously a personal opinion, but it's, I underlined because it's pretty strong. <laughs> and it's uh, um, if you are making, if you are in a, in a in a in a in appellation, it doesn't make sense to talk about peewee. If, if your appellation is Barolo, is based on a Violo, there is no other no other excuse to use something else. You have to go ahead and make what the reason, and be part of that community. If you want to be part of that community, it's uh, it's not useful to talk about other varieties. Uh, my, my dream for the Barolo appellation is to see only the Viola Dolcetto, Barbera, and, and a couple of white varieties, maybe Fraser, but nothing else. So uh, I'm sick to see all those things and just make this story confusing. In the moment that I'm thinking about Burgundy, I'm thinking about uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. In the moment that I'm thinking about Bordeaux, I'm thinking about Cab. Napa cab. So making add some other varieties most of the time make just confusion. And uh, peewee are really interesting, but I have to underline that the entire world is not the entire world of the consuming the consumer. Uh, they are not always drinking expensive wine or uh, Appalachian wine. Sometimes you want just to drink a, a, an easy white wine from uh, a normal region with. Uh, that, that is making maybe tons per hectares, tons and tons per hectares. In that kind of situation, it's really important also to think about um, other options, other options, because if in the end you have to finish on the shelf with a wine that costs uh, 20 bucks and come from the other side of the world, uh, you have tried to save as much water as much as much as you can. Also, because the only things that you are doing is that um, be sustainable, because in the end it's not about the variety. You're just trying to create a perfect, well-made white wine. In that situation, the, the peewee comes out and they are probably the future. So um, this is actually the right top, the right spot for those varieties. They are never going probably to, to face off in, in, the historic, in the historical places. But the, the, the world of the wine is not made only of uh, historical places. Right. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, one thing also I wanted to ask you is, do you see, as far as your verification, I, I, I worked a little bit with Slow Wine. I, I, I toured with the girls for, with Federica uh, Randasso, uh, Barbara Diagabiti. I, I toured with them, and it's really a joy to be able to taste some of the wines with, with them. Do you see yourself, or, or as far as your verification is concerned, any self-sustainable, um, organic, or biodynamic, you see yourself going towards that direction? Do you guys do it already and just do not advertise it? Because I know it's a, for some people it's a big, uh, a big uh, sector. 
We chose to, to switch to organic uh, in 2021, and we never advertised that. Uh, so we will be certified in 2024. It's something that we always we've always been really close to that. Uh, just right now, it's also the moment for the certification. Then uh, you have to tell you that I don't know if really we are going to use it on the label or not, uh, because it's difficult to work with organic if you have a if you have a single vineyard of three thousand square meters and you are surrounded by not organic. So it's it's always tricky the situation. But I mean that that's the future. Uh, if if not in Barolo, where that is my point. If we are not the one who uh, make research, if we are not the one who try to challenge ourselves a little bit more, who do it. Uh, so it's important if you are in Barolo, if you are in, in Montalcino, if you are in, uh, in uh, if you are working on the east of, of, uh, of Prosecco. So actually, if you are one of those lucky places, you have also to work uh, and to a couple of steps more than all the others and invest because it's something that will be back in also in places that are not actually as lucky as we are to be part of this historical group. So also organic for us was a necessary um, point to start. Um, it's always fascinating to to just sit down and, and, and speak with you in the small time that we have once together um, when we were touring. Um, what you know, you always told me how you enjoy drinking wine and, and and so many things that you learn from from Domenico. But in your eyes, what is the perfect Barolo? If you were to sit down and and have the perfect Barolo that uh, Bacchus came down and put in in, in front of you, what, what would that Barolo be? It's a it's a tricky topic, tricky tricky question. Um, in this moment, I'm more in love for the. Um, Something that speaks of Piemonte slowly, so something with the fruitiness, not so much tannins, and I like the pureness. I like to have uh, something that I can I can think that is going to age, but at the same time something that I can drink right now, something of pleasant. I don't like the wines that you taste and you say, oh, this will be good in 20 years. Then, then you, you are not able to drink it right now. So <laughs> I prefer something that it's uh, smooth. And, and talk about where we are from, Piemonte. It's, it's a region made of people that doesn't doesn't scream. So it's always about being uh, correct and uh, try to don't overdo. And the wine that I'm dreaming, the Barolo that I'm dreaming for the future is that something that it's uh, it's able to be one of the great wine in the world, but at the same time also stay in his own place and just speak when it's necessary. So something that doesn't scream. Wow. That was- Tell me, what about what were what were Domenico's influences? I, I remember you told me that he was influenced by quite a number of uh, producers, uh, and I keep going to Barolo Boys because it was that that you know that that guard, um, you know that philosophy that that uh, rattling moment that changed the, an entire philosophy. But the, what what would what would you say were his influences? And do you see yourself also being influenced by those winemakers as well? For Domenico, one of the about the viticulture and about the ideas was it's weird, but it's the Die de Ganou, one of that he spoke mostly. Uh, that obviously is making uh, Sauvignon Blanc in <laughs> far away from us, uh, but that was the guy. And mostly for him, with the producer from Burgundy, really uh, was something that he used to enjoy most of the time. He used to say, "The first variety in the world, it's Pinot Noir. The second one is Nebbiolo." <laughs> And it's actually from someone that uh, that has been the sixth one in the world for for this and that. It's 
it's it's pretty incredible. And uh, and as you know, actually, I'm drinking a lot of Burgundy, but I'm drinking uh, a lot of American wines too. So the the real innovation, um, it's all more often is coming from uh, from the what we used to call new world uh, instead of the old world. So I always love to make 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 it blind and try to compare maybe Sonoma Pinot with with Burgundy and compare it and understand what what is the next step. And uh, this is fascinating for me to understand how able some winemakers are to manage the situation that they have. Maybe it's super hot and then they are able to make gentle wines and they are super famous, but they don't make weird wines. They don't make artist wine. They make something that it's more pleasant or I always like to understand what is going on. So um, every time that there is something that is different, I'd like to taste it. I'm absolutely not a big fan of the, all the oxidative stuff that is coming from France right now. That stuff, it's as much as time is passing, as much as much I'm not understanding the point. But except that, all the rest is fascinating. What what about Beal? I mean, uh, I, I also I enjoy listening because half the producers, winemakers that are out there, uh, my experience basically is that there's a lot of flawed wines that people are trying to pass off as it's bio, so not giving me a lot of money or, or you know they're 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 jumping on the bandwagon and uh, I just did a class recently and the class focused on you know bio natural wine biodynamic wine does not have to be faulty it does not have to be foggy it doesn't have to be stinky it could be delicious and it could be clean you know what, what what's what's your feeling on that personally do you see yourself as organic? Uh, right now in that advertising, do you see yourself using any of those non-interventionalist uh, techniques? Mm, the, the point for me is something that you don't have to... If you use it before to taste the wine, that means that the wine will be faulty. That is actually my the proof. <laughs> if the winemaker comes to me and tell me, we are biodynamic, we are this, we are, the wine will be faulty. Uh, Romani Conti is biodynamic. Ceretto is biodynamic. Uh, so many, many incredible wineries are biodynamic. But they don't they don't promote it. If you don't have to promote it, most of the time it's because it's good. So it's it's always about be balanced and uh, and understand which is the the most important part. If for you it's necessary to pass through that 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 door in order to make the best wine possible, let's open the door. And I'm more than happy to taste all the wines of the world. Uh, it's different if you want to be part of a game because you need to sell. That is a, a different topic. So, but also are different when making styles. So, uh, I like the wines that are made in order to create something, not in order to sell something. Uh, but it's there is space for everyone. There is space for everyone, and sometimes it's just a matter of time. Right. Um, it's uh, fascinating because I'm actually doing a tasting with the uh, wines of Mexico, um, a, a country with a winemaking history that is so so old, and, and yet it's only in the past 20, 30 years that they they had their second win, so to speak. Um, what has been outside of, uh, you say you're drinking a lot of the, the U.S. wines. You like to drink a lot of New World wine. I, I, what, what's on your table? What's your go-to or, or what do you enjoy drinking from the New World? And mostly mostly Burgundy and Italian wines. Um, those two. Uh, I'm just discovering it's it's not actually so easy to, to admit, but, but I'm just discovering right now Bordeaux. And speaking clear, because it's too expensive, so you need to afford it afford them uh, obviously a lot of reasoning as uh, as everyone right now um, 
but most of the time it's about if I'm drinking something that comes from uh, the new world or is Australian because I work at there, so I'm still in love for that place, or or is American, um, also because it's a little bit easier to to find them. Right. You know, one thing I I also am grateful that your you know Domenico Clerical wines are not overpriced. In my opinion, they're still accessible by the average guy like myself. Um, I think that you have a lot of individuals who fall in love with a particular wine, a particular style, a particular region, and then all of a sudden they get to a point where, oh, I, can, I just cannot afford, you know, to, to to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars for for a particular wine. Um, what about the, you, you mentioned that you're you, you do you see yourself, for example, working in the future with any white grapes? We discussed more than once about this, but we are never going to make it. Actually, mm-hmm. not until that time. There, not. <laughs> And then maybe we, we can change our idea in the future. But the, the philosophy of the company was make the best from what are you able to make. And our territory suits perfectly for uh, red varieties and for our own varieties, Docetto, Barbera, and, and Nebbiolo. So all the rest is... Um, we, we are not able to make a, a wine so important like the barrel that we are making. We, we, if we make a white, that will be just a, a white in average from us. And then I have a huge respect for everyone else who is able to make a great white wine from our from our region. But we feel comfortable staying in the place where we are. We try to achieve also higher, higher points with the Barolo instead to challenge too much ourselves. And then every time that we want to drink a great white wine, Burgundy is five hours from us, nine hours from us, you are in, uh, you are in Mosul. So there is actually no, no reason to try to copy the others. Right. And I think that's also one of the things, the sincerity that, that, that you guys have. I mean, I think that's just wonderful. Why, why reinvent the wheel? You, you have somebody who went in there and did all the hard work, so to speak, in the beginning. And, and then there's, not to say that the work continues to be easy or it's not going to be any harder, but I think the, uh, yeah, those, those, the, the, the cornerstone, so to speak, was already set. So that philosophy is there, and I think that's just great. It just confuses you more. You know, look, we could we – could, uh, and, and, What's in store for Domingo Clerical tomorrow? What what are your what are your hopes for the future? What do you see happening? What, what's what's the new clerical going to be like? It's just it's still something that we don't know because it's uh, the, the the good part of the Domingo Clerical project is that uh, we try to push forward the, the limit. So right now we we are here, and then for the future, who knows? So it's uh, we try to always make the same labels or we make the work from the same vineyards, but trying to do also something something more, but it's still unpredictable for the future, for sure, not a white. And then all the rest, we are open-minded. <laughs> <laughs> bravo, bravo. Yeah, Oscar, I know I, I could continue, and, and I've got like a million uh, questions, and, and I'm just so intrigued, and I know it's just the, the ever-evolutionary uh, philosophy that you have. And, and again, so thank you so much for your commitment, you know. Um, but I, I know that we had a short amount of time here, and I, I want to turn it back over to, to Stevie, uh, make sure that we're okay on time. Um, Stevie, are you there? <laughs> uh, there you go. Thank you so much, you guys. What what a terribly interesting question. Um, if there's somebody uh, who would like to ask a question to Oscar or John, please raise your hand. I will bring you up to the stage, although we're running out of time. Oscar, I have actually three tiny questions for you. Number one, um, how many bottles do you produce overall with your nine labels? Number two... And I would like to understand what the stars, if the star that you have in each on each level, what if there's a particular meaning with the different colors? And my last question, it's uh, we could, I guess, probably speak for another hour or so. 
What is this thing with um, the Piemontese and this, um, I would say, aversion to social media? I see that Domenico Clerico does have an Instagram. I was really, really surprised, although it's very uh, uh, scarce in a way. But um, so those three questions, I don't know if you got that. So number of bottles, yeah. the star, and then... Piemontese boycotting social media. <laughs> the last, the last one is really interesting because yeah. it's the reality. I start from that because it's really the reality, and uh, I don't know. Um, Piemontese doesn't like to speak and doesn't doesn't like the people who speak too much, and uh, that's the point. <laughs> I mean, it's, the wine uh, is good, so like, I mean, it's a miracle that people can find them. You know, in a way. I agree with I you. Mean, yeah, it's it's incredible. <laughs> But there is such a strong distaste for um, social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we treat the social media in a way like uh, they are they are lying. It's uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's real. As much as you speak in the social media, as as less you are making. That's our mentality, and it's difficult to change. It's difficult to change. We yeah, know. I mean, I was just there. It's amazing. No one had social media. We, we, we had no social media until the COVID. And actually, yeah. I, was, I was forced by, by our sales team. And mm-hmm. they, they literally forced me. So they opened it. And then we had to manage it. Because for me, it was, uh, was a diktat. was a, something from, uh, from Clerico that he always told me, we don't do it. We just don't right, do right. It. Yeah, of it, course. I understand <laughs> that completely. And then what about the star? What about the star? It's, the, it's, it's part of our, the story of the company. It's a little bit sad, but the, the daughter of, uh, of Domenico and Giuliana, she passed away when she was really young. And oh, my goodness. And Christina. And mm-hmm. the reason why we make Per Christina, it's in honor of her. And because of that, uh, Christina became a star and so is on the label of all our wines. Oh, so okay. it's, um, it's part of the story of the story of the family. And, uh, and, and then we adapt the star in every label with the color. And in total, we make 120 bottles per mm-hmm. year. Uh, 120,000. 120,000, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. obviously. Because 120, it's I, I drink you it. can drink, drink it all it yourself. In, yeah, in January. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> when it's cold outside. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much, Oscar. And John, what a great job. Laika, can you come back? Laika, are you still on? I'm still here, Steve. Yeah, Laika, you're killing me this week because I just saw my agenda and I have two other uh, Clubhouse (laughs) interviews this week. week. Okay, all right. So who's coming next? Okay, so tomorrow, Shawindu, she's back. So she's going to interview Matteo Giustiniani um, from Avignonese. Oh, so her boss, basically. Okay. And then who's the other one that? is on Thursday, we've got Arlene Oliveros, and she's also interviewing somebody from Piemonte. Um, oh, Francesca my goodness. Is Arlene still in Philippines? Yeah, she's still in Philippines. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Great. I haven't heard her or nor seen her in the longest yeah. time, so very excited. Okay, you guys, I'm going to go because there's nobody left at the office and I'm going to have to close up and go back to a family. Ciao ragazzi, alla prossima. Thank Grazie you. mille. Ciao, ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.